into the realm of victory, living the victorious Christian life, victory over darkness. And uh, it reminds me of one of the stories that my parents told me growing up. Um, I was a missionary's kid. I was an MK, what they call an MK, for a season. And uh, so my, my parents shipped uh, me and my brother and, and uh, my sister would be born on the mission field over to Sri Lanka, which is a teardrop-shaped island off of the southeast uh, coast of India. And uh, during that time, my parents really wanted to get a sense of what India was all about and wanted to get an understanding of what um, the spiritual atmosphere was like in that place so that uh, they, would, they would have an effective means to be able to witness to the people that were there. And so my parents decided they were going to go and they were going to attend Buddha's birthday. It was a big parade. They were happening. They wanted to understand what they were up against. And they went to that parade. It was a big celebration in Colombo, which is the capital of Sri Lanka. And the demonic presence was so oppressive there that they just, 15 minutes into the parade, they had to leave. And so they left. And they came back home. And something followed them home because for, the, for a good portion of that night, I wound up as a three-and-a-half-year-old kid, just a little kid, jumping out of my top bunk bed to go to, to my parents' room to flee to them from what was oppressing me. It was an oppressing spirit. I don't have much memory of this other than two very small pictures. Um, I won't share those in detail. We've got some kids here. But um, it was just a terrifying experience. Finally, my father, after about eight or nine times that this had happened, I mean, I literally, little three-and-a-half, four-year-old kid taking a huge jump out of a top bunk to come run into his parents' room. Finally, he figured out what was going on. So he just began to pray over me in tongues. And the next day, I woke my parents up because I was out on the balcony and I, was, I had stood up a toy that I was standing on top of a toy that I had, a rocking horse. And that's hard to picture. But I was standing on a rocking horse, and I was preaching out over the balcony to my whole community, saying, Jesus will give you the victory. <laughs> I, was, I was shouting that over and over again. I don't have any, I wish I could remember that, you know. But having victory over darkness is something that God absolutely has for all of our lives. He wants us to be able to have freedom from the things that are keeping us bound because he has a radical plan for our lives. And so we're going to be talking about that this morning. We're going to be addressing the issue of breaking the power of controlling sin. And I first want to start by explaining what controlling sin is because it's different from normal sin. Normal sin that we see a person in the world, a person who goes and they, they get drunk every night, that person is walking in rebellion, okay? That is not controlling sin because he wants it. Can you see that? But controlling sin is different from that. Controlling sin is sin that you do not want to do, yet you continue to do it. Now, I want you to take out a piece of paper if you've got one, all right? And just for a few moments right now, just, just write down a controlling sin that you are struggling with. And I want to say to you today that if you've walked in here with bondage, Jesus wants to give you the victory, okay? So right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would click into the hearts and minds of every single person in this room a, a controlling sin issue. Not an issue of rebellion, but a controlling sin issue. Would you bring that and quicken that to their hearts in the name of Jesus right now? Move, Holy Spirit. Come. Now put up your hand if you got something. If the Holy Spirit told you something, if there was something, could you put some hands up? Okay. Okay, so a few of you began to hear from the Lord. Now these are the kinds of things, if we're willing to admit it, that most of us struggle with. And so I first want to begin to address this topic of 
breaking the power of controlling sin by looking into a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's found in the book of Romans. And so if we could turn there right now, Romans chapter 6. And this is one of those verses that a lot of us have read. And over the last several years, the Lord began to unfold the real meaning of this verse to me in a powerful way. And it's been life-changing. I'm convinced that what I'm going to share with you now, it has been, and I believe it will continue to be for the rest of my life, to be a life message. This is one of those things that I'm going to burn with until Jesus comes. I just know it. Just like Dare to Dream with Paul, I feel like this is something that God has sovereignly given to me. So if, you, uh, if you've been around me for any length of time, you know that I love this verse. Romans 6.14, just say amen if you're there. A little louder? I love to hear voices. I'm a charismatic, spirit-filled Lutheran, so I like people shouting in church. I also like good theology, but I like shouting in church too. Romans 6.14, okay? Listen to what Paul says. You know it, but just pray for the Spirit to open your heart. Paul writes, For sin will have no dominion over you. Let's say that first part again. For sin will have no dominion over you. That's good news. But then he adds a a pro quo, a condition, if you will, at the end of that verse. And listen, listen to what he goes on to say. He says, since, some translations say, because or in light of the fact of, you are not under law but under grace. So that's the provision. So if you're struggling with sin having dominion over you, the problem is a grace issue. Now I want to give you two principles that you can know about this verse that can help you to begin to diagnose controlling sin in your own life and begin to identify it. And here are those two things. Number one, you need to know that this verse is telling you that any area of your life where you are walking free from a sin that once controlled you is an area of your life where you're living under grace. That's good. But now here's the other truth. This verse is also telling you that any area of your life where you're living under the control or the dominion of sin and you can't get free, that's an area of your life where you're living under the law. So what I'm saying to you is is that I'm not saying in a legal sense that you're living under the law. What I'm saying is that emotionally you're living under the law. There's a difference between those two things. A lot of us, when we hear that, we say, Ben, that's crazy. I'm not living under the law. I've never been a Jew. I've never understood that whole concept, that way of life. I can't even relate to that. I've always confessed and believed that I'm living under grace. Have you considered the possibility that there may be a level of spiritual deception that's going on if you're struggling with controlling sin? See, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said he made this statement. He said that many are going to come to me on the day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? To which the Lord is going to respond, depart from me, I never knew you. Which proves that you can confess something and think that something is true for your life and actually be living a lie, right? I think the same thing holds true for those who say, hey, I'm under grace. But meanwhile, they've got an area of controlling sin that's going on in their life. It's controlling them, and they don't understand that that's an area of their life where they're struggling to believe that Jesus has really forgiven them. Now, I'm going to give you a, a, some testimony to back this up. When I, was, I grew up in a Lutheran church, son of a Lutheran pastor, charismatic, um, spirit-filled. I had a great upbringing, a wonderful family life. Now, my family has brokenness just like everybody else's family does. But the thing is, is that I had a really great family life. But then 
towards the age of 17, I began to backslide. And I backslid and I just lost myself in this lewd, filthy lifestyle. I played the part of the prodigal son. And I tremendously hurt my family, caused them unspeakable pain, and they prayed for me big time. They prayed for the, this prodigal to come home. And I came home. It was like, it, it wasn't even that God opened a door back into the kingdom. It was like he popped open the window and I jumped back in. And suddenly, by a miracle of God, there I was. I was saved again. I was spirit-filled. It felt like I just picked up right from where I left off. And my parents extended me grace in that moment. And as a result of that grace that was shown to me, sin issues dropped off of my life. That I, had, I mean, I'll tell you what some of my struggles were. I, I had some chemical addiction issues. I was struggling during that five-year time period with drinking. I was going out and I was drinking every night. I was a three-pack-a-day cigarette smoker. A number of other things that I did. I won't go into all the gory details. I'm not going to glorify the devil. But you get the point. This was a very crazy lifestyle. My parents, they forgave me. And as a result of the forgiveness that they extended to me, I'm telling you, my parents, they never brought it up again. They never said a word about all the things that I had done. They chose to forgive all of it, and they expected me to just simply come to the place where I would never ask, hey, did you really forgive me, Dad? Is this really okay? Is this issue really dealt with? I never had to do that. Instead, because I felt forgiven, I never had to go through a 12-step program. Never did. For five chemical addictions that were in my life. Didn't go through a 12-step program. That's very different from what happens at times when a person works up the courage to go and confess to sin to a person, right? I mean, think about it. This kind of thing happens at the church every day. Every day, a teenage son works up the courage to go and say to his dad, Dad, I'm struggling with homosexual emotions. And what very often does that father do? What? You shame your mother and I? You shame us in front of the church? You bring shame upon us in front of the elders? I disown you. And what happens to that teenage boy? He walks out of the presence of his dad that day, bound to a homosexual demon and spirits of lust for the next 20 years. Why? Because his dad bound him. In a moment when he needed mercy and grace, he got law. And so he became bound to sin's dominion. Can you see that this is real? This happens all the time in the church. But what we need to understand what we're dealing with here is something I believe it's called the mystery of lawlessness. Turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to show this to you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Oh good, we got lots of time. Praise God. We're going to do ministry on this and everything and it's going to be glorious. Praise the Lord Jesus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, are you there? Look at what it says right here in the 7th verse. He says here, Paul writes, he says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. I puzzled over that one in Bible school. When I was in the seminary, I didn't quite understand some of the things that that verse was saying to me. But I want to focus in on the first part of that verse. Look at that once more time. It says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now what Paul's talking about here is the end times, correct? Correct? Okay. It's okay to say yes. <laughs> We're at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Yeah. 
It says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now, we know in this passage that Paul's talking about the end times, okay? And what he is saying here, the point he is making, is that there's going to be a lot of people doing lawless things in the last days, a lot of it. But then he says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. I scratched my head over that one for a while. I said, what in the world is the mystery of lawlessness? Finally, the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me. He said, Ben, when is your lawlessness a mystery to you? Is it a mystery to you when you meant to do it? No, that's not a mystery. I just chose to rebel. That's right. So when you rebel, your lawlessness is not a mystery to you. When is your lawlessness a mystery to you? When you didn't mean to do it. When you didn't want to do it. You ever fight something so hard and you're like, I don't want to do this, and you do it anyway? And you're like, I can't believe I did that. I saw myself doing it. I went through all of them. I saw it in my head. There I was doing it. You know what I think Paul is describing here in this, in this verse? If you'll give me some license. I think he's describing his Romans 7 wrestling match. That's what I think. You remember that, how that how whole section of Scripture goes? It's very well known to many of you. You don't have to turn back there if you don't want to. I'll just go ahead and read it to you. Romans 7.15, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good, so it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I find in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. This is describing a person who is wrestling under the law. Okay, that's what you need to understand. In Romans chapter 7, everything that Paul writes is describing a person who's living under the law. Look back at that little piece of paper that you wrote down your sin issue on, please, for a moment. Just look back at it. Does Romans 7 sound a lot like what that sin issue is describing in your life? If it does, you're struggling to receive the grace of God in a couple of areas. So, what do we do? How do we begin to get in touch with the grace of God? See, the grace of God is something we can understand. That's legally true. I am forgiven, but does your heart believe it? Because Jesus did not just simply say, the truth will set you free. He didn't say that. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Knowing the truth is about having experiential knowledge of it. The Greek word there is gnosko. And it means experiential knowledge. So if I have not experienced the grace of God in that particular area of my life, that's an area where I'm going to be struggling a whole lot with sin. So we need to get a revelation of God's mercy and grace over us. What's needed with each one of our controlling sin issues, I want to say this to some of you that have been sat under harsh Pentecostal teaching, okay, or harsh teaching of any kind. Some of you thought that in order to change, you needed to try harder. And that was preached at you, and the preacher or the pastor or your dad or whoever was told you that the solution to you getting free of the wickedness that was controlling you was for you to try harder. And so they preached the law at you. Can I make a confession? I used to do that. I'm a pastor, a preacher. I was at a church very close to us, right here in town, North Heights. I was a staff pastor for a while. Still one of the greatest privileges of my life to have been ministering at such a church as that. I did that at times to people 
I would preach messages in such a way that it seemed that the way to get free of my sin was to try harder. What I didn't realize was what Paul's talking about right here in Romans 6.14. I want you to go to the end of Romans 7 for a moment here, and I want you to look at this passage. Verse 25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now pause for a moment. You can see very clearly that Paul is struggling right here, right? He's struggling because he's trying to serve two masters. Everybody say two masters. What did Jesus say about that? You cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you can't serve two masters. Paul has just very clearly said right here, he said, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That doesn't sound like something to be happy about. Look what he goes on to say in the very next verse. Therefore, because this is true, remember there were no chapter markers when Paul wrote this letter. It was all one big letter. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why does he say that right there? Because the only way that you're going to get free of a sin issue that's controlling you like it was controlling him is to believe that there's no condemnation. That's why. That's why he put that there. I didn't understand that for years. I was a Lutheran. Right? I mean, we're the big kind of grace historical church tradition right out there in Christianity. For years, I couldn't tell you why does he put therefore what is therefore, therefore? Why is it connected to this previous statement? It sounds like Paul saying something depressing. He's, he's, he's suffering with duplicity. Can you see that? He's got two minds on an issue. And then at the end of it, he says, Therefore, thanks be to God, because I've got no condemnation. I've got no condemnation. I've got no condemnation. And because of that, he was able to break free from his Romans 7 experience. So the trap door for getting out of controlling sin is Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation. You've got to come to a place where you can believe that, not just in your head, but in your heart as well. The promises of God are given by grace, but they're received by faith. They don't just drop off of trees like cherries, and we eat them like that. No, it doesn't work like that. We reach out and take hold of them. So if you're struggling with something and you can't get free, whether it is a controlling mindset whether it is a controlling sin that is ruling you externally, the problem is is that you don't believe that God has really forgiven you in that area. You hear God say to you, hey, I want you to do this, and you say, yes, that's right. That's what the law says. I'm going to try to do it. And then as a result of that, you remain bound. One more point, because you can actually do this to other people. Actually, the Holy Spirit's saying to me, don't go there. I won't do it. Thank you, Jesus. We're not going to go there. Hebrews chapter 10, please. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I am committed to preaching by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not by Ben's inspiration. Hebrews chapter 10, please. Verse 1. Look at this. Look what the sacred writer says right here, because this is going to bring freedom. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, everybody say the word never, Never. 
by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Now pause for a moment. I want you to look at that phrase, make perfect. Get out your mental highlighters, underline that statement, make perfect. That's a very important statement because it's talking to us about something called, listen, the process of sanctification. And that's just simply a fancy way of talking about you dying to your sin. So right away we see that whoever wrote this book is saying to us that when it comes to getting free from sin, becoming made perfect, it has nothing to do with trying to keep the law. Can you say that? He said the law can never do that. Verse 2, he expounds upon it. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. Wow. Do you see what he's saying back there? He's saying that people who struggle with having a consciousness of their failures, their shortcomings, are the same people that cannot be made perfect. They can't do it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone to church on Sunday, sat under the Word of God being preached, fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, responded to the altar call, repented before the Lord in tears and contrition, brought your mind and your will into agreement with the Word of God, walked back to your seat and then into the rest of your week only to find that the very same sin issue you were struggling with at the altar is still clinging to your life. Raise your hand if you've heard, had that experience before. Uh-huh. Right? A lot of us have. Can I tell you my, my most embarrassing repentance story? Okay, I'll do it. I was waiting for that. I was at, several years ago, I was at a very, um, very, I was blessed to be a part of this particular conference. One of my favorite speakers was there, internationally known person, and uh, just such a powerful ministry. He gave an altar call at the end of this message. It was a really convicting message. Conviction's a good thing, by the way. I responded to the altar call that he gave. He said, I want all those who are leaders in the church to come up and we're going to repent for our sins. And we did, and then we're going to go to lunch. So I came up to the altar just like everybody else did. Paul was there. Probably a lot of other people that you know were were there. We were all just before the altar. Some of us were in tears. Some of us weren't. I was repenting before the Lord on some sin issues. 45 minutes goes by, and everybody breaks and goes to lunch. I'm still there. I feel like I'm still under this. So I begin to walk out of that church. There's a large piece of sprawling property in the back. And I began to walk out into that back property, lots of trees, winding path that wound back into the woods behind this church. And I went back there. I thought I was alone. I got on my knees in a clearing, this, this kind of clearing in the, in the woods. And I just kept on repenting, saying, God, would you please forgive me? God, would you please remove this from my life? Over and over again, just like this. I was going hard like this for about 20, 30 minutes until I was interrupted by a police officer. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever repented and attracted the attention of local law enforcement? <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing, son? So I'm sitting there on my knees, and I, I looked up, and I saw this police officer. I'm like rubbing my eyes. What are you doing? I said, I, I'm repenting, officer. And he said, you're what? I said, I'm praying. And he said, so then, you're saying that all you're doing, you're not hurt or something? No one's trying to kill you? I said, trying to kill me? He said to me, the neighbors that are surrounding this piece of property heard you. 
I looked up and I thought, uh-oh. These woods are a bit thinner than I thought they were. He said to me, they called the police. They called us. They thought that somebody was being murdered in the woods. He said, you mean to tell me that all you're doing out here is just crying to God and repenting? I said, yes, officer. <laughs> he just shook his head and he just turned around and walked away. He looked at me like all of you are looking at me right now. I walked out and I thought, something's wrong. I mean, and here's why. I want you to ask me this question. Ben, did you stop that sin? No. I didn't. Let me tell you why. Because there's a type of repentance that, humanly speaking, we do. Paul talks about the difference between godly sorrow, right, on the one hand, and worldly sorrow. Everybody say, two sorrows. One of them leads to life and the other leads to death. One changes you, the other does not. One of them, here's the reason why, one of them is focused on God and what he's done for you, the other is focused on you and what you've done against him. At some point, we've got to understand that the call to repentance is not nearly as harsh as we thought it was. I want you to do me a favor and turn to the book of Isaiah. This is an Old Testament prophet. Isaiah chapter 40. Boy, this is exciting. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Verse 1. Look at this. Look at what he says. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. The prophet says, Comfort, comfort my people. Says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that her warfare will be ended and that her iniquity will be pardoned. Is that what your Bible says? What does your Bible say? Is that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is is pardoned, and that she has received double from the Lord's hand for all of her sins. Look up at me for a second. Whose mission statement was this in the New Testament? Just go ahead and say it. You already know. John the Baptist. That's right. This was John the Baptist's mission statement. In John chapter 1, verse 19, it tells us that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jerusalem they sent a delegation to John the Baptist to question him about his ministry and about his message. And he quoted this scripture. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straighter paths, and he begins to quote some scripture to them. He's pointing the, the elders, the religious elders, back to this portion of scripture. So this was John the Baptist's mission statement. He was to cry, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is near. But you know what? One day I began to ask the question, God, this verse, if this is John the Baptist, this doesn't sound like his ministry. John didn't say comfort, comfort. John said repent, repent. But you've got to study the original language. I'm going I'm to quote the Hebrew for you here, and then I'm going to give you an explanation. The Hebrew here is Nacham, Nacham, Ememar, Elohim. Okay? Comfort, comfort ye my people. The word Nacham in the original Hebrew is the word for comfort. It also simultaneously happens to be the same Hebrew word for repent. So you could read it like this. Repent, repent ye my people, saith our Lord. That's one of the ways you could repent it. But more than that, it reveals to us something about John the Baptist's repentance call. John the Baptist's repentance call was not repent. It was repent, repent. It was a call to come and be comforted by the fact that God has forgiven your sins. Not will forgive in your sins, has forgiven them. 
You see what I'm saying? It's a past tense issue. That was the way that John preached. That shifted my picture of John the Baptist a bit and my understanding of biblical repentance. The call to repentance is always supposed to be one that comforts you, that gives you comfort, that assures you, I'm forgiven. I've got grace. Why? Because sin can't have dominion over you if you're under grace. Under law, it remains. How do you contact grace? I want to, this, is, this is where I'm going to end this on because we could go all day with this. Praise the Lord. Wave it. Wave it because this is that kind of a day. Thank you, Jesus. You all know this. This is David, right? David spent a lot of time in caves, didn't he? Running from good old King Saul. Psychotic, maniac king who wanted to kill him. Pin him to the wall with spears, right? You ever wonder why David spent so much time saying, they're all around me, they're going to kill me. Everybody around me wants to kill me. Why was he talking like that? The king wanted to kill him. The king wanted to kill him. Who else? What about his band of mighty men? You ever see the phrase that it uses about David? Whenever you read David's life, it talks about the Cherethites and the Pelethites. Whenever you read that statement, from now on I want you to understand that, that the Cherethites and the Pelethites were Philistines. They were a messed up, disgruntled bunch of Philistines hiding out with David in the cave. And David's praying prayers like, don't let them kill me, Lord. Why? Because they're all rumbling around that cave thinking, why are we going to kill this guy? I don't know, I like him. He cries a lot and sings in this cave. Kind of, it's kind of cool. Every day, that was his life, every day. I mean, picture a pirate ship with a captain and everybody wants to commit mutiny against that captain. That was David's life. And yet he drew near to the Lord in the midst of all that suffering. Pen some of the most amazing, glorious words we have in the Scriptures. Psalm 139. Look at this. Verse 23. Because this is the key. This is the key. Just say amen if you're there. Psalm 139, verse 23. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know what this verse is saying? It's holding up as a value for the Christian walk of being transparent with your sin. Being transparent before the Lord with your sin. I want to give some some conditions once here again because this is not just talking about you being transparent before God. It doesn't take any humility to be transparent before God, does it? Because God already knew it before you confessed it. It's like, God, I'm a lustful, jealous, angry freak. I know. (laughs) I know that. God gives grace to the humble doesn't take any humility to do that. You know what takes humility? Going and confessing before the person you sinned against. That takes humility. Humility, I heard Jack Frost one time say this. I thought it was brilliant, so I'm going to say it. That humbling yourself is a, an act of self-redemption. Because you're, you're getting under the place. You're just coming before God, forgive me. And you're actually coming before that person and you're humbling yourself 
And in that moment, when that person offers to you grace, you become freed from your sin. Because sin doesn't have dominion in that place. You're humbling yourself. That's your part. That's how you posture yourself to get grace. And when that grace comes, it changes you. And your sinful nature loses control over the course of your life in that particular area. That's how we do it. That's how sanctification works. Now, where you're rebelling, stop. But where sin is controlling you, understand the role of grace and mercy. And in that place where you come into agreement with that, that grace, that person says, your sins are forgiven you. You ever wonder why Jesus said to the adulterous woman, your sins are forgiven you, go sin no more? For years, I heard that wrong. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you, right? Now you better not sin again. Is that what Jesus meant? No. What he meant was, your sins are forgiven you. And now because you believe in my grace and that I have actually forgiven you and you've taken it into the deepest part of you, the emotional reservoir of your inmost being, because you believe that that's true, now you'll have power to walk free from that sin. So go sin no more. You're free. You're free. That's, that's what Jesus is doing there. It's a lot of things in the scripture that you can hear wrong if you don't understand this principle. And look at this, how David ends it. Lead me in the way everlasting. This is an important part of walking and experiencing eternal life on an ongoing day-by-day basis. Could you look back at that sin issue one more time? Because here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to write down the name of the person that you're sinning against where that particular issue has got you. Write down that person's name next to that sin issue. We're not just sinning against God. We're sinning against one another. Do you remember what David did? Psalm 51. He confessed his harlotry with Bathsheba in a song and the whole nation sang the song. That's transparency. The devil would like you to believe that that type of transparency will bring shame into your life. God is trying to convince you this morning that it's actually the opposite. That type of transparency brings you into a place of freedom. So if you want to walk in greater freedom, this is what it takes. I've been practicing this all week, and I'm going to do it in front of you right now. I did something at Communitas the beginning of our worship. I had the previous week led worship as I led a communitas in a spirit of man-centered control. I was trying to like hype it up, get people to respond and just kind of rush into worship more as if that attracts the presence of God. I was trying to do that. Paul called me on it. I said, what do, I, what do you want me to do with this, Lord? I brought a defilement onto our community through what I did. The Lord said, confess it and you'll break it. I did. I confessed that sin. That night we had an amazing breakthrough in worship and the message was powerful. Transparency does that. Why? Because you're positioning yourself to receive grace. I've been doing this with my wife now for a while. We're practicing transparency at a deeper level with each other. And I'll tell you something. It's releasing grace. Grace frees you from sin's control. It's grace that breaks the shackles. Right? What did Jesus say in in Isaiah 61? He said... The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the opening of prison to those who are bound. 
So there's a connection between Jesus' preaching and the opening of prison. What was so unique about his preaching that it opened prison doors? Paul, not Paul, John says it so clear in John 1.17. He says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus' teaching was laced with truth, but also with grace. And it was that grace that broke the shackles and set people free. So God wants you to do that. And here's the third thing that we're going to do. Just to steal this issue. There's a fire pit outside in this yard. That little piece of paper that you've been writing on all, all morning, I want you to take it and drop it into that fire pit. Some other point during the week, I'm, I'm sure maybe you can arrange for a fire to be sent fire to all that stuff. And I, and here, I, I want to I just end by saying this because I actually I need your forgiveness as well at the house. Because, um, and this is, this is again a moment for me to humble myself. There was a message that I had preached here on watching for Jesus' return. And afterwards, there were two brothers that confronted me. One of them was, was my good friend Robin, and the other was Bob Newman. And so these, these two brothers came, and they said, we were fine with the entire message. There was one sentence that we had trouble with. And they confronted me on that issue. At first, I wasn't willing to receive it. Over time, the Lord gave me a dream, and it, the dream convicted me to the core. I realized that I had spoken error. And the Lord said to me, this is the way that you're going to break that. Go back and confess it to Lydia House. And you're going to break any, any kind of sense of bondage that anybody might have to that. So I'm going to go ahead and confess it to you. I want to say this clearly. Watching for Jesus' return is important. Not knowing end time schemes and things like that and plans is not a salvation issue. So if you were under bondage with that in any way, shape, or form, please forgive me. And as a preacher, I'd ask for your forgiveness. I assure you that I'm, I'm doing everything I can to study to show myself as one approved. I want to honor the reality of what I've been given here and not, not squander it in a foolish way. And this may not be the last time I ever ask for your forgiveness. But I know that if we have an atmosphere of grace in this place, that people get free from sin. I can't ask you to do something that I'm not living. So, with that said... I'm just going to hand it over to Paul. We've got 15 more minutes. We're blessed, aren't we? We're blessed. Go ahead and clap. It's impossible to overestimate the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's impossible to overestimate the grace of God. It's possible to overestimate our part. And many of us have been inclined to do that. But we cannot overestimate the power of the cross of Jesus Christ to release us from the power of sin. I understood grace as forgiveness as I was growing up, the son of a pastor, and I'm glad I did. But I came to understand it also as power. Grace is power. In the New Testament, when you see grace, you often see power. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because grace is there. Clifton wanted to share a word. Uh, can everybody hear my voice? Just get the mic. Get the mic. Get the mic. Yeah. Um, this one here is good. Testing, testing. Okay, well, I'm Clifton Williams. Um, I know a great deal about the abundance of God's grace and mercy. 
uh, I prior to I'd say in the in the early part of the new millennium, um, I I hosted my I I did my own cartel. Uh, I ran drugs from Mexico to Minnesota and and had a really crazy operation while doing it. But in the midst of that, uh, I got pulled over in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And when that happened, it was it was really the grace of God that 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 happened. It, it was an opportunity to get uh, a trial in an area where he would be able to work through a judge that was in that vicinity. Well. Uh, Prior to actually having this go to court, um, a friend of mine and I, who had got pulled over, we were confined to the city of Albuquerque in the county of Bernadilla, uh, New Mexico. The judge literally said we had two weeks to find, or three weeks to find an attorney. And if we could not find an attorney, that we would just get the, ma- the maximum penalty of 25 years. Uh, and um, and we would we would spend that time, and then they would also do a forensic search on the weapons that we had in in the in the vehicle. So we were looking at life and possible uh, death penalty in the South. Well, what ended up happening was, for two weeks and six de- or five days, we went and seen every attorney that was possible in the county, and every single attorney wanted twenty five thousand dollars each from us down and $25,000 each after the case, amounting to $100,000. Granted you, I just lost all my money in the pullover uh, in the product that would have brought that. And, uh, and during this time, a lot of people here in Minnesota were, were trying to, to take my kingpin throne. And so they weren't going to want to assist me so that they'd have to give up the position they were trying to take. Well, anyway... It came down to the last point, and my friend Scott says to me, he says, Cliff, why haven't you prayed at all to your God about what's going on, knowing that I went to church and I was heavily backslidden? And I said to him, Scott, I have been praying. And he said, would it help if I w- prayed with you? And we're, we're, It's hot in this motel that we're staying in. We were blessed, man. We didn't have to pay a fee at this motel. There used to be a whorehouse and a crack, crack hotel. It was cleaned out by this man, but he, he, he gave us, God gave us grace through this man to stay here for free. And we're down to the last moment uh, of, like, basically, we're going to go to prison. And I said to him, I said, Scott, if you think it's going to work, let's, let's give it a shot. <laughs> We're both in our boxers and muscle tees because there's no air conditioner. And we're talking uh, New Mexico here in the summertime. And so we got down on our knees together (laughs) in our boxers and muscle tees. And we sweating our our butts off and we prayed. We prayed to uh, the everlasting God, uh, Jehovah, through Christ Yeshua. And, uh, And after this prayer, nothing miraculous happened. No epiphany came upon us. Instead, we felt like we should go talk to the owner of the, of the motel and thank them for allowing us to stay here prior to our sentencing, <laughs> accepting what was going to happen. We go to the office, and there was a man in there by the name of Sasha. And Sasha said, I heard that you guys were, I heard about you two, that you guys were here and have some pretty heavy charges on your life. We're like, yeah. And he goes, well, God sent me here today to speak to you. And we're like, what do you mean? He said, well, uh, a few, a few, about a year, or I think it was like eight months back, he was uh, heavily uh, induced on, or on the drug methamphetamines. Uh, 
And he said the demons had control of his body, and he ended up beating up a bunch of police officers, ran away in handcuffs, tore the handcuffs apart, took a pistol from the officers, shot a couple cops, and ran away. And the cops obviously were on a manhunt. Um, and the same thing that happened to us happened to him. He prayed. And uh, the eternal God heard his cry. And so a man came to Sasha the same way Sasha was sent to us to get, give them the opportunity to go to a God-fearing attorney that, that offered his, his entire business in his life. His name is Rafael Padilla of Albuquerque, New Mexico. He does not advertise himself. He does not market his, his uh, ministry of, of legal advice. Instead, he depends only and solely upon the cases that God sends him, and he has a 99% win, win, win case ratio. And Sasha said, you need to go to this man, and God is going to set you free from the crimes you have committed. Wow. And, you know, in disbelief, we walked to the address that he gave us, clear on the other side of downtown Albuquerque, on a very hot day. And uh, we get there, and the first thing Raphael said was, he said, sit down and listen to this phone call. And I, I'm going to get somewhere with this. And on this phone call... Uh, it was a man weeping and saying, I understand I'll be set free, but I'll never have forgiveness. And I hear Raphael saying, they forgive you. They forgive you. The entire family has already spoken to me, and they forgive you. And he was like, well, I'll never forgive myself. And he said, God will give you the grace and mercy to understand the forgiveness he has for you. That his son died on the cross for all. And we're just listening to this. And I'm like, this is an attorney giving uh, priestly advice. And it was just mind-boggling blow. I couldn't understand what was going on in the state that I was in. And, he get, and then he said, but I killed the whole family. What had happened was this man had committed a, a drunken vehicular homicide and killed a family of five walking across the street, uh, three children and the husband and the wife, and left one baby uh, uh, um, without a parent and siblings. And this man, his case was dismissed, and the family took him in and loved on him, and they all joined this congregation. And he gets out the phone, and Raphael said, So, you boys are here for my help. God sent you to me. And we're just like, Yeah. <laughs> and he says, Okay, well, let me guess. You're here on drug, drug charges. Yeah, you had quite a load in the trunk. Yeah. Murder weapons. Yeah. <laughs> well, God has already set you free, and this case has already been defeated. We're like, okay. <laughs> we didn't understand, but okay. And he said, I, I'm assuming that the attorneys want about $100,000 together, and you don't have the money right now, right? We're like, Correct. He said, well, God is putting you in this position so you can understand his grace and his mercy in your life. And we were just, just like, okay, well, what's going on? He said, this is what I want you to do. Go to the bank, pull $300 out, and I'll, you guys can go home. And we're like, $300? He's like, you can retain my services for $300. You go home, each one of you in a, in a lawful manner get $2,500 each, and that will be enough for my services. And we were, we were blown away. We didn't know what to say. We didn't even know if thank you was the right word, you know. If him, thanking him was the right person. So uh, we went to the ATM gladly, 
got $300, had someone deposit some money that we knew, uh, got the money and uh, went back and we're, we went to give it to him. And when we were in the office, he was on the phone with somebody. This goes to what Ben was referring to about writing your sins on a piece of paper. And he was talking to somebody on the phone about a meeting they were having that night, a bonfire, if you will, called Burning the Chaff. And, and, and that it was a really big thing that they do down there in Albuquerque at, at uh, Pastor Rafael Padilla's slash attorney's uh, residence. They do house church down there. So uh, when he got off the phone, I said, Sir, what is this burning the chaff you're talking about? He said, How about you come with tonight and I'll show you what it's all about? I was like, Scott, are you interested? He's like, We have nothing else to do. <laughs> We're going to catch the first flight home tomorrow, so we might as well do this. So, uh, and mind you, we, we only, he is the God who is always on time. He may not come when you want him, but he will be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. So we went with him that night. Uh, and we, when, we, when we got to this residence, it was like an old Mexican uh, a stat, like house with you know the, the brickwork and the stucco siding and just a beautiful piece of desert property. And uh, full-grown cactuses that have been well taken care of. Like I, it's, It was the Old West in front of my eyes. And we go there, and then the people started gathering. And there, was like, there ended up being a nice crowd, 50 to 150 people. I don't know the exact number. But then uh, towards, we were there for a few hours, and, and a lot of people kind of didn't really talk to us. I guess they were just uncomfortable who we are, newcomers maybe. And they weren't really greeting like Minnesotans are, you know, with our Minnesota nice. And um, uh, Southerners are a lot different than us, I found out. But then, so uh, at the end of the, towards the end of the evening, we all gathered around a campfire. And Raphael gave a same message. It's awesome to hear this. That's why I'm over hooting and hollering, even though I do it all the time, but this touches home. He gave nearly the same message that God was offering grace and mercy that night. And to anybody who would like to partake in this, just write it down on a piece of paper. And it wasn't going to magically disappear. Like when you put the paper in the fire, it wouldn't just go poof and it was gone out of your life. What it was, it, it was an authentic representation that you were willing to take the step forward to allow God to give you the grace that he came to give all of mankind for thousands of years back up to that very point. So I went ahead. Scott said he couldn't do it. He said he didn't really believe that it would leave this way. But I know my God. Like, I didn't really know him, but I I knew him. I knew that he wanted to be there for me and that this was going to become something greater later in life. So I went ahead and I wrote down on the piece of paper, I will never, ever, ever drive massive amounts of drugs across the continent ever again. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) Which I haven't to this day. You know, I didn't say, you know, the fornication, the sex trafficking, and the and the guns and the bang bang lifestyle, I just said I wouldn't do this. And God is so awesome that He accepted that. And I wrote it on the piece of paper, didn't allow anybody to see it, and I threw it in the fire. And nothing magical happened. No extra fireworks came out of it. And it wasn't extra crackle on a log. But what happened was in, in my heart, my heart began to melt. And I began to weep. And I began to understand what he was about to do for me. 
And there was a few other people around the fire who did the same. We went inside afterwards. Then people were more warmed up to me. They, they saw that I had a, a heart that was softening for the Lord. A ice cold, crystal cold heart. A heart, an ice box was beginning to become a heart of flesh. And they saw it and they prayed and they covered me. Well, we went home that, or to the motel that night, said our goodbyes to everybody. We got the first flight out of that city, and I've never gone back. But uh, <laughs> one day, maybe I will. Raphael told me he never wanted to see me again until we entered the kingdom of heaven. But uh, what happened was, <laughs> he gave us a charge. But what happened was, he had been trying to get this prosecutor, the state prosecutor, to come for the longest time to one of his gatherings. And that night, he, the state prosecutor ended up coming. And, uh, and he saw the authenticity of my heart change. He was there. He was there. He was there. It was all divine. I'm telling you, God orchestrates things before we were born. Amen? Can I get a witness? Before you were born, before you... Before you were in your mother's womb, he knew who you were and what you would do to whomever you would do it to or yourself. And he loves you so much that it doesn't matter. He looks past that and says, there's Jesus again, born again and again and again and again and again as you're born over and over. But anyway, he ended up contacting me and saying, Clifton, I told you the case was defeated. At this time, my wife was leaving me. I found out that she had a hit on my life because she thought I was going to murder the man that, uh, that she was cheating on me with. And I made it very pl- cl- clear and plain that I was going to murder the man that was, she was cheating on me with. So she had a reason to believe I was going to. But uh, I ended up getting into some more trouble in Minnesota, got another gun charge. Uh, it's a lot that goes with it. But uh, ends up being, I'm sorry, I'm taking a little too long. I'll, I'll wrap this up. So uh, what ended up happening was the prosecutor ended up going ahead and dismissing the case. But the federal government at this time, Bush was getting ready to put a war on all drugs, cause, calling it terrorism, no matter what it was. Uh, marijuana, crack cocaine, methamphetamines, peyote, anything that was being used was considered terrorism on our country. And it was, it was just months before he passed this that the, that the federal government decided that they finally got the man they had been looking for across the United States, and they were going to make sure I got maximum penalty. And so Raphael contacted me. He said the federal prosecutor literally said to his face he wanted to see me burn in hell. And he said the only way, he said, Clifton, you've got to stop getting in trouble. I said, I promise I'm done. Because I heard the audible voice of God in my jail cell that told me to never touch a gun again in Ramsey County, St. Paul. And I, so I promised I never would. I was like, I'm never getting in trouble again, Raphael. And, uh, well, anyway, uh, he said, well, then as long as you do that, we are going to have people praying for you all around the world. Every nation, every tongue, and every tribe will be crying out for you in this case because God has a purpose in your life. And I said, Okay. Six months later, my case in Minnesota, multiple homicide and murder charges that were against me on this gun that they had. Uh, honorable, Federal Honorable Judge Flynn of the Ramsey County Jails, uh, uh, who resided over my case, came out of her chambers and said to me, 
that something came over her and caused her to push my papers to the side. And, and she was told that I have already been judged by a higher power and that I had a purpose in my life and that he was going to use me in a way that no man could come in front of it. And so she said, as long as you promise me that you won't do anything again, I am going to set you free and destroy all evidence that's against you, as I was told. And she said, is that okay with you, Mr. Williams? Oh, yeah, ma'am. That's okay with me if that's all right with you. And she said, if you don't mind, I'd like to incinerate these weapons after this case so the federal government cannot come after you. I said, I, that sounds like a plan to me. I'll never touch one again anyway. <laughs> That's my covenant with the Lord. That day I was set free. Six months later, or I think it was five months. Mom, I don't know where you are. Was it four or five, six months? Okay. Well, soon after that, I received a call. Right when I had found out my ex-wife had a, a hit on my life, the man who she went to to do this found me on the street. It was the enemy's opposition for what was going on. And he, his name was uh, Mr. Love. I won't say his first name. And he was, he was a goon. He's a hit man on the streets, and I've done a lot of work with him. And uh, my wife didn't know that I knew him and uh, per- so personally. And so when he saw me, he's like, Cliff, I've been looking for you because... Your ex-wife came to me and said that she wanted a hit out and she was willing to pay up to $5,000 to have this done. And he refused it and he put a word out on the streets for nobody to take such an assignment against me. That's God's favor. And he said, but I could set it up right now where you can take out both of them if you like to. And it, it was on my heart to do it because I was so hurt by it. I said, I said, go ahead and set it up. And... uh all of a sudden, uh, I was at my friend Jordan's house when this happened, and his landlord came in out unexpectedly to talk to Jordan. And, uh, and as he was talking to Jordan, he turned to me and he said, you're going through an issue in life right now, aren't you? And you got a tough decision in front of you, right? I said, yeah. He goes, well, I'm a pastor. He's like, I came here for a reason, and I, it's obviously for you. And God wants you to let you know that he's doing so much for you right now. Don't turn against him. Because he is for you. And, I, and I, I was so confused. And he said, he said, make the right choice. And as he was telling me this, Mr. Love left the apartment. And because uh, no evil can stand where, where the Lord is. And uh, so what ended up happening was I had a choice to set up the hit or not. And I went out to my van and I contemplated doing this. I have a son with my ex-wife, Demonte, and I could imagine doing this to his mother and taking her away. So I stood in that van. I said, God, I need your help right now. Oh, I need your help. So then all of a sudden I get a phone call from Rafael Padilla, and he said, Clifton, guess what? I said, what? You're set free. They had decided on this very day that there's nothing they can do to put you away because God is for you. He said the judge came out of his quarters, Honorable Judge Johnson, a federal judge down south, and said something came over him. 
and told him that I had been judged by a higher power already. And that I had a purpose in my life like, like no other. And no man could come before this calling that he had. And to set me free and destroy all evidence set against me. And he said, Clifton, on this day, you have been set free. I said, I know, but Raphael, I'm about to do something that I know I'm going to probably regret. He said, Clifton, whatever it is, I'm telling you now, stop it. He said, uh, the Lord wants me to give you your life verse, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. On an acceptable time and an acceptable day, he has heard my cry. And on this day, he has set me free. Do not let your ministry be blamed. That's not exactly what it is, and I'm not really good with addresses and quoting the exact scriptures, but it's on the lines of that. He said, Clifton, you cling to that life verse, and he said, I never want to see you again until we go into the kingdom of heaven. He said, I will run to you with open arms, because you made it. And God gave me his grace and his mercy. So what I have to say is if you have something that is attacking your life, that Satan is using as a vice, whether it's pornography, lust, uh, temptation to go back to something, drugs, encountering an old friend that's wooing you to do something you know you shouldn't do. I'm going through it too. I have it on my piece of paper right here. What I would have to say is go ahead and write it down and honor it and, and honor it before the Lord. Live it and walk it out and watch what he does with your life because he's done something amazing with mine. Let's stand together. And if you have written something down and you, uh, Luke, grab that pot that's right there and bring it around here. We're just going to put it, put it over here. And if you've written something down, we'll, we'll take those things and we'll destroy them this week. Yeah, just put it, put it right over here in this chair. If in your heart there is a battle because uh, you feel a level of condemnation for the areas where you've messed up, it may be spoken, it may be gossip, it may be complaining or whining, it may be looking at things you shouldn't look at, it may be stepping over the line in some area. Paul was struggling too, and then God spoke, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that as you delivered Clifton, you deliver us. And that if God is for us, who can be against us? So as he prays now, just lift up those areas in your life that have been bothersome, or about shame from the enemy, just lift them up and let them be burnt away in the love of Christ. Uh, can we all together real quick just cry out loud just for a moment to the Lord? Can we list our, lift our prayers to him? Lord, you are Lord. You are Lord. Do not be ashamed to say his name. You are Lord. You are truly Lord of my life. You are glorious, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We praise you, Lord. You are so holy. You are holier than holy, Lord. You are above all things. In the mighty name of Yeshua, we pray to you, Father in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Come, Lord.
Lord, Father God, I thank you for every brother and sister that is in this room, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you have a call and a plan for each one of their lives, Lord. Lord, that there is something that that they can do, Lord, to advance your kingdom across this earth so that we can witness and experience your second coming to us. Lord, you said you will return when every nation, every tribe has been reached with your message. Lord, and when there is a turning of heart with your Israelites, Lord, and they cry out in one voice. Lord, I, I thank you for the people in this room, this powerful group of people, Lord, that you have placed in our lives together. Lord, I have once heard that nobody comes to this house, Lord. They are called to this house. Lord, Father God, so I thank you for each soul that is in here and has been delivered and is continuing to lay down as a sacrifice like you did the things that are going on in their life. Lord, I pray that you honor and, and, and give a, a, a whole bunch of grace and pour it out upon each and every one of us, Lord, that you will open up the windows in heaven and pour out such a blessing upon each and every one of us, Lord, that we don't have room enough to receive it all, that we have to give it out to others. Lord, I pray that your mighty rivers of waters flow out of each and every one of these people's mouths, Lord, to advance the kingdom into each and every other person's life they encounter. I pray that each person in here receives the power and the anointing of evangelism to speak your holy word into others' lives, Lord, and to not allow Satan to use the things against them that they have may have done or thought against another lord but rather to use it to advance your kingdom lord for you have said in your word that anything that satan has used against us it will be used for to glorify your name so thank you abba father thank you abba father for each one of these souls in here today and as we go ahead and deliver these these sins and these transgressions and these trip lines, Lord, and everything that has been identified in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, as we deliver them into the, the, the bonfire to burn the chaff, Lord, I pray that you will sift the wheat, Lord, that you will sift the wheat and receive it, Lord, as the harvest is being brought into you to, on this day. And we bless your glorious name through Christ. Amen. Al, lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to speak the benediction over you in just a minute. Today is potluck time. We're going to do um, make your own submarines. And I suspect that we have enough for everybody, so it's not a matter whether you brought something, but if you're here, you uh, are welcome to stay here. I was working with Clifton a couple days ago, and I said, uh, tell me your story. And when he did, I said, you want to share that next week. I was going to preach on breaking strongholds next Sunday, but you're going to hear about somebody's strongholds that have been broken. A little more of his story, so Clifton is going to share with us next week. We have a meeting with the Harvest Project, 
in a few minutes, so some of us will be gathering probably in the living room, but you can spread out when you get the food uh, all over. There's a big deck that you can go to. Uh, just find a place and connect with somebody. After I give you the benediction, for one moment we turn this into a prayer room, just for a moment. And I want you to find one other person and either pray for that person or have that person pray for you, related to the message, something about grace. You can tell them, I need this in this area. You can be transparent, as Ben encouraged us to be. Say something to somebody that's transparent. Transparency releases grace into situations. So you can do that by your openness, be on the receiving end, giving end of prayer. If you want prayer from someone else, grab one of the pastoral leaders and have them pray for you as well. We want to take the message. We don't want to forget it. And we want to carry it with us now. Just like last week, we carried that message with us. We want to carry this message of freedom from the power of sin and believe that it works for us just as it works for somebody else. Work for Ben. Work for Clifton. It's working for you today. It's your message. It's right there in the book. Okay. Take it. This is, this is peace for you now. It's being imparted by the Lord to Moses through Aaron through me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.